0: good morning everyone so good to uh, be worshiping on sunday morning that last song uh, beautiful beautiful words and they uh... our worship team i have really appreciated uh, what they have been putting together it's really just it makes me want to worship it really does and uh... we have the three Camelonis this morning, actually four of them, but three are playing. We have Nina there this morning on piano. They uh, they do so good. We, should, we shouldn't let them go to college, actually, I think. We should just pay them to be here. And w- don't go to school. Just hang around at the church and keep playing, that's all. I also noticed that uh, they have the uh, communion set up here, and I'm moving further and further up by just wondering if it's getting me closer to the door until finally they just give me the left foot of fellowship here and say, God bless you brother, <laughs> have a good eternity, you know, it's like, <laughs> anyway, uh, before I get too much into nonsense, let's, uh, let's pray and uh, ask our God to help me and to help you listen. Father in heaven, we rejoice in you today, Lord. As we sang that last song, Lord, it always gets back to what you did on the cross, Lord, as central, the centrality of the cross, Lord. No matter how much we can study and try to understand, Lord, the most important thing is we realize what you have done for us and what that means for us, Lord. I pray that it would cause us to want to worship you and glorify you all the time, Lord, for who you are and for what you've done for us. Lord, now we ask that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, help me as I speak. Help my brothers and sisters, Lord, to hear you lord and please bless our time may we leave here this morning and know that we have met with you lord and in some just even a little way something has entered our heart to help us to change to be conformed more to your image and this we pray in jesus name amen all right We've been going through First John and we'll continue today. We've seen John try to encourage the believers in a church that was being infiltrated with false teachers, heresies. And in the process, these teachers spread their poison and many bought it. And they were leaving the church. As we get clues from John, he says, they didn't remain with us, but they left. And so we know that people were leaving the church buying these false beliefs and thinking, you know, that these teachers claimed they had a special knowledge, a secret knowledge that was necessary for salvation. That it wasn't just faith in Christ that got us to heaven, but it was these secret things that they could teach us that would get us there by this knowledge. And in the process, Christians left, and the Christians who were left at the church were starting to question. You know, we're very easily, as human beings, we very easily fall into doubt. As strong as we think our faith is at times, one thing can, can kind of shake our faith. You know, We're very easily moved and start questioning And These people probably were questioning, are we saved? Because John is making the point, he's almost giving them a test. As he goes through the book, he starts, like we said, with doctrine. And he gives them, he says, a Christian has this right view of Jesus he gives. And a Christian has this right view of sin and our sinful condition. And he says a Christian morally is obedient to the Word of God. And a Christian is one, the evidence of it, is one who loves God and loves his brother, his neighbor. And then he goes on to say, and we spent time on that, that and the Christian does not love the world. And remember what the definition of world was. Okay, It was that system of evil that is against God. It's the whole overall system fueled by Satan that is against Christ. And John calls those Antichrist. Remember, we said there is the Antichrist that comes, that's identified, uh, you know, right through the Old Testament from Daniel right to Revelation. But there is those who don't believe in Jesus, they're against him. And Jesus made it clear. I've used that verse a number of times. He said, you know, whoever d- is not for me or with me is against me. Very clear. Jesus draws lines. and the Bible, we said, always draws lines. John always loves to do that. You're either in the light or you're in the darkness. You're either saved or you're damned. You either have love or hate. He he really likes to put it clear. He draws that line the way Joshua did. You know, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. You're either on this side, you want to come on my side, we're going to worship the Lord me and my family. You know, that's the way it's it's clear. There's 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 not those kind of things are not blurry lines. The Bible makes it makes it distinct. Truth is truth. You know, and in fact John even said that in this He said that, you know, there is no, in the truth, there are no lies. It's a contradiction. It's either truth or it's lie. It can't be both truth and lies at the same time. Anyway, so we go now today and we look at verse 28 of chapter 2. And what I did is I broke it from verse 28, chapter 2, to verse 3 of chapter 3. And it seems it's kind of an odd break. But you're going to see, I hope you're going to see, why I broke it that way. Because what we have here is, in verse 28, it talks about His appearing. And then in verse 3, it concludes again with His appearing. So, to, to let you know where I'm going this morning, in case you don't pick it up, okay, if it's not clear, where I'm going is, we're looking at hope. In fact, the message was, our hope. It's certain, it's life-changing, and it's eternal, to put it. That's the hope that we have. And so in this portion of Scripture, what I'm going to try to do today is show you where John talks about, he says that we have a hope. The hope is the second coming of Christ, or His appearing, as he says. And that hope should fuel us to a holy life. It should affect the way we live. It should be life-changing. Now, this issue of hope, how often do we hear messages on hope? I wonder, hope is almost like the neglected. You know where Paul at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, and these three remain, faith, hope, and love. We hear a lot of messages about faith. We hear a lot of messages about love. But I... I don't remember often hearing messages about hope. It's, it's almost like it's, we, we've kind of ignored that a little bit. And I'm afraid that in our culture today, Christianity, our Christian culture, let me put it that way, our Christian culture, we somehow have lost that that's st- importantness, if that's a word, importantness, I don't know, but the importance, uh, the importance of hope. That is what fuels us to move forward. As you're going to see, John is going to say it's that hope, and it's in seeing Christ. He says that hope drives us to holiness. In a sense, we could say it's, it's the hope that, that purifies us. In a sense, it's a purifying hope. It's very important that we have that hope. Think about the world today. As I was driving here, I, I, I was thinking, you know, within, in the light of the, the shootings and the horrible stuff that's going on in the world. I mean, every day you look, there's massacres somewhere, there's bombings, there's shootings. There's, and I understand we want to try to make legislation and, you know, the motto was, it's never going to happen again, you know. We're going to make sure we take care of it. And those are, I want to believe, are noble goals. But how can violence end as long as there's sin in the world? As long as there's evil in the world? I, I couldn't help think this morning. I was thinking, and I'm not, this is not a, a fatalistic or just a negative attitude or things, but how can this world get better as long as... Man has sin in his heart and there was evil. That just... It, it it can't happen. The world will never be at peace until Christ returns. That is the only time when Jesus comes, then He will remove. It says in Revelation that at some point, He's going to take the devil and cast him into the lake of fire. It says where he will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. And with him will go all the demons. And I say that sadly, all those who have refused Christ. Because even as wicked, I was thinking yesterday, I was t- Carol and I were driving, and we heard on the news that that fellow Jeffrey Epst- Epstein had uh, said he committed suicide. He hung himself. And... If he's guilty, I mean, they didn't convict him yet, but if he was guilty, I was thinking, even as horrible as those crimes were that he committed against even children, if he honestly repented of his sin and cried out to God for mercy and put his faith in Christ, he could be saved. Miracle of God's mercy, as far as we don't like to think about that, we like to think. But when I think of someone who will be tormented in hell forever, that's the most horrible thing I could think of. Is that as wicked as a person is, that the thought of that just you know, to think there is never relief. And the world today, if you think about it, the world, in a sense, the hope that they have, those who are in the world without Christ, the hope that they have is just kind of temporary relief. That's all what it is. The world offers temporary relief. You know, we, I mean, from silly things like, oh, I hope it doesn't rain on my day off, you know, the wishful thinking, you know, or I hope I win the lottery. But I was thinking, someone who comes down with cancer, who's an unbeliever, their hope is what? the doctors can do something. But what happens over the period of time? Say you're cured of that cancer. You still have the prospect of dying one day. And facing what? We know what we face when we die. Either we're going to be with Christ or we're going to be with the devil and his demons in hell and rotting there, tormented. And you look at that, and the hope that the world has is nothing more than wishful thinking and just putting off the inevitable. Death will come to every one of us, and death will come to everyone in the world unless Christ returns and then or the rapture takes place, if you believe there is a rapture, then we're going to be taken up. So we won't experience death. But most likely, every one of us here will die at some point. Do you have hope? Do you have hope in the words when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he said, whoever, whoever lives will never die in him. Because even if we die, we will live. That's our only hope, folks. Otherwise, you think about it, the world today, and the world embraces an existentialist type of of philosophy that basically everything is meaningless. There is no meaning. There is no God. So therefore, we're just cosmic accidents that took place, and one day, we're just going to die with no purpose and no meaning. If there is no God... There is no purpose to this. This is just a cruel joke. It really is. If, if tomorrow somebody can absolutely prove that Jesus never lived or that Jesus never was resurrected, are we going to continue to come on Sunday morning? No. No. We might as well go out and be like the rest of the world and just live for every experience you can, the moment-by-moment experience, whether it's alcohol to numb the pain or drugs, whether it's just sexual affair after sexual affair to just have as much pleasure as I can have because, as Paul said, you know, as the, the hedonists say, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But as Christians, we have hope, a hope that is certain, a hope that is life-changing when we really embrace that hope, and that hope is for eternity. The world does not have that, and they ought to be pitied. I really feel as Christians, our hearts should be drawn to want to get the gospel out as much as possible to everybody we know because they have no hope. They are people without hope. So let's look at this hope. Let's read this. In fact, you what know, comes to mind is the, the Bible makes that clear too. I, I, should, I should mention it that uh, Proverbs 10.28, Proverbs the Old Testament Proverbs says that the prospect of the righteous is joy. But the hopes of the wicked, it says, come to nothing. That's such a picture of life. The prospect of the righteous is joy. We are going to be with Christ forever in his presence in perfect peace and fulfillment and contentment we are the world we're always looking for contentment even christians are always looking for a little extra contentment when we were there our hearts and souls will be fully satisfied and but he says and the uh, hopes of the wicked come to nothing there is nothing let's look at verse 28. Chapter 2, 28. And now, dear children, okay, when he says, and now, he's he's changing gears here. He's going to totally change gears. And he says, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You want the key verse to this section? It's right there. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. John is saying, if you have that hope of seeing Christ that you believe that Christ will appear again, he says, that purifies you. That should take your life and be sanctifying it. It should cause you to live a sanctified life. Why? Because he says, you don't want to be ashamed when he appears. You want to hear those words, you know, welcome, you know, good and faithful servant enter we don't want to we don't want to be ashamed and the ashamed he's talking about here it's not going to be that we're going to lose our salvation if once you are saved your sins are forgiven they're covered by Christ it's a done deal you are his your seal is on him he's given you he's given that deposit in you as Paul says of the Holy Spirit that's his seal upon you he In a sense, He owns you. You're His. You're His child. But you can be ashamed because we are going to be judged on what we do. What do we do and the motives behind it? What we do, I think about it, Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust and thieves break in. He says, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. What are those treasures in heaven? Those are the works that we do for God, out of love for God toward others, toward ministry, toward just being loving to others. Things that glorify God. Those are what we will be rewarded on. But if we live a life, a very blank, Paul makes it clear in uh, 1 Corinthians He says that our works, he's talking about Christians, our works are going to be tested by fire. He says, and that which is gold and silver and precious jewels, well, they're going to to be fine through the fire. But he says there's also the works that look like uh, wood, hay, and stubble. He says they're going to be burned up. But he says that that doesn't mean that that person is going to lose their salvation. It just means that basically says they're going to escape. He says like one just kind of escaping through a fire, you know. They're going to have the smell of smoke on them, basically, you know, in front of God. They're not going to have anything to show. Their rewards, their eternal rewards, will be nothing compared to, you know, those who are, who are living for Christ. But the key there is, God's going to check our motives, isn't He? You know, it's a verse that we always think of, Jeremiah 17:9 where he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and, and beyond cure. Who can understand it? But the next verse after it, the Lord says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to, to see, you know, what a man's deeds deserve. Basically, he's saying. And he's saying, what, what the motive was behind those deeds, that's what God is going to judge us on. So let's look at this right now and see how we're doing here. Okay. He says, and now, dear children, like I said, he's switching gears. He's going to change And now. He says, dear children, continue in him. That word continue in him is, is meno. John uses it, I believe, about 40 times. And it means to abide, to remain, to stay. So he's saying, you're in Christ. Well, keep going. Persevere in the faith. Don't give up. Keep moving. Keep staying with Christ. Remain in uh, me. John 15. What is Jesus? In fact, I'm going to show you that for a minute. If you want to go John 15, if you want to just listen, that's okay. If you like to follow along in the scripture, then do that. John 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now watch, he starts with that word meno, that abide or remain or stay. He says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither you can bear fruit unless you remain. But John's making that point here. He's saying, you have to persevere. You've got to stay strong in the faith. He says, you don't just back off. He says, and get weak. You want to keep moving. You want to get stronger. And then he goes on there to... uh, Verse 6, If anyone does not remain in Me, he is like a branch that has thrown away and withers and the branch up, picked up. Verse 7, If you remain in Me and My words remain in you, you get the point. Okay, John is saying we have to hold fast to the faith that we have. Don't get weak. Don't slack. It's not... we. I think of... Paul in, in Philippians chapter 3. What does Paul say? He says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and what? Straining toward what is ahead. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know? Or how about when he says in one twelve? I think it's one twelve, or 212, uh, 2.12. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Okay, P- Paul is talking about pressing, straining here. He's saying, working out your salvation. I, one time someone I heard, I think it was Warren Wiersbe, gave an illustration of, a, a mine. You've got to get in there. The gold is in there, he says, and you've got you to get the pickaxe and the tools in there and chop away and work it out. And he says, work out your salvation. Okay, he's not talking about us working for our salvation. We know that, right? For it is God who works in you. He says, it's God working in us and us working out our salvation then like that. So we hear, he says, continue in him so that when he appears... He's talking about Christ returning. That's the hope that we have. Let's face it, if Christ does not return, first of all, then he's a liar because he said he is going to come back. The scriptures tell us Christ is going to return. And you know what? That's that's a tenet of the Christian faith that is, is necessary. You have to believe that there is a second coming of Christ. You know, you, how and when and exactly. Okay, we can debate about all those things. But if you're a Christian, part of your faith has to believe that there is a second coming and it's going to be personal and visible and glorious. We're told that in, well, many times Jesus talks about that coming back on the clouds like that, but... Even in Acts one, remember when the, the, when Jesus they're talking to Jesus and all of a sudden he, he, starts lifting. That had to be a weird scene. I'm sorry. Picture that. You're talking to somebody. Even even Jesus. I mean, he walked on water. He raised the dead. He did that. But you're talking to him, and all of a sudden, he just starts lifting, and his ascension, and he just keeps going up. And they're standing there, and they're looking up, and he's. And he's going in the clouds. And remember, it says there was two men in white, two angels, who come and they say, you know, why are you, you know, why are you looking up? Then that sounds like, are you kidding? A guy just floated up. Of course, I'm going to watch. I want to see where, you know, where where does this go to? But the word actually in in the Greek that it's written in, it means almost in a in a grievous way, like they're looking like we're losing him. You know, he's it, like that, and. So when we read that, we, think we don't understand. It sounds like you know, the angels are saying, what's the big deal? Okay, he's going up. But what do they say after that? They say in the same way he went up, he's going to come back. How did he come back? He came back in a physical resurrected body and he goes up in the clouds. And when he comes back, it's going to be personal and it's going to be visible and it's going to be glorious when he returns And as a Christian, if you struggle with that, read the scriptures, ask God to help you, because that, folks, is our hope. Our hope that Jesus is coming back, because when Jesus comes back, he's going to set up the millennial kingdom. He then, after a thousand years, if you believe in a millennium, I know that's a a question that some debate about, afterwards, it says that he's going to bring down the new heaven and the new earth, and the new Jerusalem, where we will be with him forever. That's our hope. Make sure you're grounded in that hope. Because without that, you don't have hope. If Christ doesn't return, we don't have any hope. What if Paul, when he talked about the resurrection, he said, uh, how did he say it? He said, uh, if for this life, if, if, if for this life, We have hope in Christ only, he says, we are to be pitied among all most. We are to be pitied more than all men. He says, if we don't have hope in these things, if we can't believe them, we have no hope. We're to be pitied, he said. we're, we're spending our time here on Sundays, on a beautiful day. You're reading your Bible. You're praying to nobody, that means, because... But He did resurrect and He is returning. There was a first advent and there will be a second advent. The whole history is consummated. The consummation of history is at that point when Christ returns. He says, and we don't want to be ashamed. In other words, we want to be living. We want to be remaining in Him, staying in Him, and growing in Him as we go along. Verse 29, if you know that He is righteous... And we know he is the source of all righteousness. He's the righteous one. He says, "If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Now, it kind of John almost puts it in reverse, because what happens is we are born of him. What John is saying is, we are born again, and when we are born again, then we seek. That righteousness. We have the righteousness of Christ in us and we're to live that out. And he says, in fact, that's the one of the tests. In a sense, when we talk about John giving them tests to see if they're really Christians, he says, you know that everyone who does right has been born. He's saying, you're born again? There's righteous acts. Your life is showing righteousness. You're living the right way. The way of God. You're honoring God. Verse verse 1 of of chapter 3. He says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Boy, you want a verse to meditate on? Try this one. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us? Whenever I think of lavishing, I always think of like a, a guy who meets a girl and he loves her and he wants to lavish her with gifts and with love and with just pouring out, can, you know, giving the best and yet you can give and this and that. And it's interesting because where it says how great is the love, that word great in the Greek actually means something that's fantastic, that's spectacular. In fact, it means Alien. It's so unlike what we're used to. That love is, is alien to us. It's, it's like out of this world, this love. It's not a, a love that we can almost understand. It's fantastic. It's spectacular. That's God's love for us. He says, and He's lavished that spectacular, amazing, out of this world love upon us. What else does the Scriptures say? but God demonstrated His own love for us in this, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, when we were at our worst, He gave the absolute, unfathomable best. And we struggle sometimes because somebody says the wrong thing to us to love them, right? And we get like an attitude of, who would they to be talking to me like that, you know? And in the meantime, God has... Has cut through all the ugliness of us and Christ went to the cross for us. What kind of God is that? To see, when I read things like this, I say, I want to know him. What kind of being is he that has this type of love for us? That should excite us. That should say, that should make us want to dig deeper and say, I want to know this God. Who is he? We know he's, you know, we got to of you, and Jesus uh, told Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, but I want to know more. It's like at night when I look up at the sky sometimes, I think, Lord, I want to know you because who is this God who can do these things? This is, he's amazing. And he says, we're his children. Wow. Jesus, remember when in Matthew 6, verse 9, he says, so when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in Heaven. What right do we have to call God our Father? You know what right? Because of Christ. That's the only, in a sense, even to say right, but we do. He gives us the right to call Him Father. He's adopted us, the Scriptures tell us. We've been adopted. We're His children. And yet, the best is yet to come. Because the scripture tells us later on that one day we will see him, we will be like him. He's lavished that love upon us. And then he and then the next verse says, and that is what we are. <laughs> the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Okay, these Christians, you know, have been ignored. They're they don't know us, they they're, they're not. Buying into our beliefs, they're just they're not accepting us. You know, but John's reminding him, did they accept Jesus? No, they rejected him. They rejected him so much they killed him. The ultimate rejection. Kill him. Get rid of him. We don't want him. He's shaking up our our, our religion here. He's shaking everything up. We don't want that. We got our comfortable Judaism here. We're in control, you know, especially the Pharisees and ones. We've got control over the people and and we're considered stars, you know, religious stars amongst the people. So, you know, so John is saying, you know, don't feel funny that people are rejecting you. They rejected Him. They didn't know Him. Even John, even at the beginning of his gospel, what does he say? He said, He came to that which was His own. But his own did not recognize him. I always think about that verse when, not, I don't always think about it, but I have thought about it, let me put it that way. And I'm thinking if I came home one day and I walked in the house and Carol saw me and, and she started screaming and said, Who are you? Get out of here. I said, Honey, it's me. It's me. I don't know you. It's Walter. And she starts calling 911 to think how, that, how did that feel for Jesus to come to his own and his own did not recognize him? They rejected him? <laughs> he created us. And yet we say, no, get away. We don't know you. It's, fr- it's a terrible feeling. Verse 2, Dear friends, now we are children of God. But watch this. That's the present. But watch, he goes to the future. And what we will be has not yet been made known. We're not there yet. We haven't been fully brought into what we will be in Christ when we're made sinless, when we're made like Christ. We're not going to be deity, but we're going to be like Christ. We're going to be pure and sinless. And no more will we be controlled by our selfishness. And our desire is to gratify the sinful nature that there won't be that battle of Romans 7 in us or Galatians 5, 16 and 17. The flesh and the Spirit back and forth, back and forth. We're going to be perfect the way it was back in the garden when man originally was there without sin. And we will have a desire... In our hearts to just worship God and love one another and love God. That's our future. That's our hope. He says, It hasn't been made known, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Can you imagine that moment when we look at Jesus? We will be looking at the face of God. Oh, that. I can only try to imagine that. I'm not even going to try to make up stuff and give a scenario for that because it would be so inadequate. But he says, we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. Now, there is sometimes a, a question of, well, does he change us and then we can look at him? Or is it that we get that vision of him at that point and we are instantly changed? And we are finally made perfect. That we, we look at God, the face of God. Think about, for the, for the Jew, there was no greater desire and attainment than to see the face of God they called it the beatific vision their desire was to see the beatific vision to see the face of God that's what every Jew their highest attainment would be to see the face of God and we see it in Moses right in Exodus 33 Moses is God is having a conversation with Moses an intimate conversation and like they're told, as the scripture says like friends almost it's amazing you know and and Moses finally says, Lord, show me your glory. In other words, Moses is saying, let me see the beatific vision. Come on, come on, God, let me see your face. And what does God say? Ah, oh, Moses, I can't do that. No man can look at me and live, not in this sinful condition. We would disintegrate from the holiness that comes out from God. We would just melt. We would be done for. But we are, We'll see him as he is for we sh- He says, and we shall be like him. No more sin, no more struggles. P- perfect peace we will be at with God and with each other in heaven. Those who also believe in Jesus Christ. Now watch. So he he showed us. He talks about this hope he's going to talk about now. The hope is the appearing of Christ. And when he appears, we shall see him, and we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's our hope. It's an eternal hope. It's a certain hope, too. You know why it's certain? Because God says it. His word says it. The Bible makes it clear. And God cannot lie. He's the God of truth. Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Put our faith in him because we can. We can trust Christ. He does everything he says. Always. And he always will. Yeah. Wow. But watch now in the last verse. And we'll finish up. He says everyone who has this hope in him. Purifies himself. Just as he is pure. What is he saying? The hope that we have of seeing Christ and being like Christ should cause us to, again, work out our salvation, strive for holiness, get closer to God, speak to Him more, try to understand His Scriptures more, and try to live out what we know. I think I said it last week that the problem, I think, with most Christians is not that they need to learn more. We should always learn more. And I, myself, I always want to know more and more and more. But the problem is not that we need to know more, but we need to do what we know. We have more than enough knowledge. Every person here has more than enough knowledge to live a holy life, to strive for that. Now, we know. And John, remember, John knows when he says this, we're going to sin. Why does he say in the first chapter, verse 9, he says, you know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all, or purify us from all unrighteousness. John knows when he's writing this that we are going to struggle with sin, but it's not that we're looking to be for, for perfection, but we're looking for direction of our life. It's not... It's not that we're going to be perfect, but the direction of our life is going to continually... We want to go like this. Once in a while we might you know, be a little wavy, but it should always be... If you started here 20 years ago and you're still here, what's going on? You have to ask yourself, why haven't I grown in my sanctification and holiness? And I, you know, we could look at a million scriptures dealing with, you know, that we're called to a holy life. You know, right from, especially Leviticus, you know, the famous one, and Peter repeats it later on. You know, the Lord says, be holy for I am holy there. Uh, two things, I, I, if you want to look at with me, I'd like you, and that's Philippians 3, starting at verse 12. I'll read these and then we'll continue with the toward communion so look at chapter 3 of Philippians and starting at verse 12 I want you to look at this idea of, of striving for, for, to be pure for perfection for holiness he says in verse 12 not that I have already obtained all this now this is Paul talking Paul saying hey look I'm not perfect. He says, I have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. It's always, you know, it's like, putting the the carrot in front of a horse or a donkey, you know, with a little stick on it. They're always moving toward that. That's the goal. That's the thing that drives us on like that. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I just wanted you to see the whole context of that. You know, Paul, here he is, he's striving He's striving for holiness and perfection to get closer to Christ like that. And just one of the one I want you to see. If I want, I, instead of me just saying it, I want you to see First Peter chapter one. And we're going to end with this one. 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in His great mercy. Oh, I love that part already. In His great mercy. He has given us new birth. In other words, we have been born again. It's another way of saying he has, we have been born again into a living hope. That idea of living hope means a certain hope, a sure hope. And why? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Let's Stop right there. Look at that. He says, in God's great mercy, he says, we have been born again, or... Born anew into a living hope. It's a certain hope. It's a sure hope. He says, through the resurrection. And why is it living? Because Christ is alive. Because Christ rose from the dead. We know that. The whole Bible, our faith, is based upon the resurrection ultimately. If there was no resurrection, again, we'll make this into a great Taco Bell here. Because... There's no sense in coming anymore, folks. But he was raised from the dead. He says, and into an inheritance. That's, we're going to be, our inheritance is forever with God, people. If, If there's just one thing you got from today, I hope it's just to make you think more deeply about the hope that we have. That that hope is certain. That that hope is life-changing because if you really embrace that hope, it's going to want to drive you to know Christ more. And when you start to know Christ more, you're going to be living a more sanctified, holy life. And then finally, it's an eternal hope. He says we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. There's so much more here, but we're going to stop. And uh, Lord willing, we'll look at the next part next week. Can I just pray over this, please? Oh, God. Lord, you have given us so much. Lord, you have given us yourself. And Lord, you have given us the Holy Spirit and You have not only given the forgiveness of sins, but you have given us a hope, Lord, a hope that drives us forward in a world that is filled with sin and pain and darkness at times. Lord, we have hope. We have hope because, Lord, you came back from the dead. The Father raised you from the dead. And you're at the right hand of the Father now. And one day you will return, Lord. And it will be for all to see in your glory, Lord. And when we see you, the scripture tells us, Lord, that we will be like you. Lord, how we long for that. Lord, while we remain here on earth, I pray that we would, Lord, live lives holy lives that glorify you and that we would continually keep before us the hope that you have given us Lord a sure and certain hope and in Jesus name we ask these things amen